Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm 
What is up, CBG? Go ahead, take your seats. Take your seats at your campus. Sit down. Hey, thank you if you've logged on right now or you're watching on television around the world, 55, 54 different nations. I wanted to step out right after you sung that wonderful song. Typically, if you're new, we have a video. Uh, there's a video that can introduce the topic or the theme, and uh, that provide, provides a transition so the production people, like stage ninjas, can fly things on and off the stage. Makes a smooth, smooth segue. Uh, but I wanted to skip that because that song, that's a great song, man. That song, that song's a banger, man. That's a great song. But I'm willing to bet some of you have no idea what some of those lyrics you just sang are all about. I don't mean to be offensive. I love the song. I know the author. Uh, but you sang, uh, this is the sound of dry bones rattling. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's actually alluding to a story in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture. And you probably need to have a pretty good working knowledge of the Hebrew Scripture to know where that story comes from. Because it's not one of like the super famous stories. It's not like the story about, uh, you know, David and Goliath or Daniel and the lions or Noah and the big boat. It's a great story. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 37. You should read that for homework maybe this week. That's a great story. But the line I want to draw attention to and again, I love the song. The song's out of Elevation Worship from Elevation Church. Uh, it's a great church. Uh, they're in multiple states. They're based in North Carolina. And the pastor is a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Stephen Furtick. And Stephen is, um, he's one of those people just so immensely talented. He's a good godly man. His wife is Holly. But Stephen does like everything well. Like he might be the premier preacher of this generation and he leads wonderfully well at a high level. Uh, if you went to dinner with him, I have many times, they're so charming. He's so smart and so kind to you and to the servers. And, I mean, he does, and then he's a musician as well. He writes their songs, he writes these lyrics. Ever know someone they're so talented, you're no longer happy for them, you're just kind of annoyed and jealous? Uh, but you know, he loves the Word of God. He loves the Old Testament. But there's a line in the song I'll read to make sure I get it right. My musicians say it's in the bridge. I know what the bridge is. I know verses and choruses in the bridge. It says, just ask the man who was thrown on the bones of Elisha. <laughs> One person knows where that comes from in the Bible. One I thought about, if you didn't have smartphones and Google, I could offer $100 to who could tell me where in the Bible that story comes from. I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose a dollar all weekend long. It's a great story, it's a remarkable miracle, but it's very obscure. And let's be honest, uh, that's weird. If you hear for the first time, we're singing about bones and one dead guy thrown on somebody. What in the world is that about? That, that's weird. That sounds like more a song we'd sing Pastor Fred during our October Halloween series than right now. Right, so what is that about? I wanna share what that's about. So Church by the Glades, welcome to this final session of a series called Undead Iguanas. So if you've been missing Undead Iguanas, we've been having fun for this, I think is week number five, studying the resurrection stories of the Bible. What's the title Undead Iguanas about? I won't revisit that because I've explained that now more than once. Go back and watch online all of our resources. And all of our messages are available for you to enjoy and to share for free. But week one, and last week I talked about this premise, it's kind of a South Florida ecosystem thing, undead iguanas, but it gave me a way to talk about the 10 resurrection stories in the Bible. And so the best resurrection story, of course, is the resurrection of the king. That's Easter. 
Give us about a month. We'll go all in on that greatest foundational resurrection story. We believe in the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the foundation of our faith. But I said last week, my second favorite miracle in all the Bible, all those wonderful plethora of miracles would have to be John chapter 11, when Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. We enjoyed that last week. So that's maybe the most famous miracle, maybe one of those, my favorite at least, miracles of the Bible. But this week, maybe the most obscure, and it's a resurrection story. It's one of the three of the 10 that show up in the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, and it's found in 2 Kings chapter 13. So find in your Bible, open up your Bible, turn on your Bible. I'll give you just a moment, because today I had the luxury last week with uh, the story of Lazarus in John 11. That was a 44 verse narrative. So I had to pick out some of the highlights of that, but this week I can do my favorite way to study the Bible, not the only way, but my favorite way is a word study. To carefully dissect a passage, think about, pray about its implications word by word, not the only way. You can study the Bible thematically, topically, do a book study, but I love just taking it apart and doing a deep dive so who's up at your campus? Who's up for a deep dive? Who's up for a deep dive? Oh, put a fish bump in the chat, deep dive. Here we go. So I wanna go into this story, and again, it's just one verse. So this miracle, the lyric is embedded you know, in this miracle. This miracle is one verse. It's gonna be 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, but I wanna get a running start. I wanna give you some context. So allow me, like what, one verse before the verse. Is that okay? Can I do a verse, the verse, one verse? Can I do that one verse before the verse? Please say yes, I'm gonna do it anyways. Can I do that? Thank you, thank you very much. All right, so on, on the screen right now at your campus, let's back up to 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20. Verse 20, I've highlighted one word. When you see it, when I count to three, read the one word, the one name loudly. One, two, three. Elisha. All right, so the story is about Elisha. Kaylee, it's Elisha, Cassidy, Elisha. One more time, Elisha. Yeah, not the other guy. So if you know the Bible well, there's a prophet who has a name almost like his, named Elijah. And Elijah, he's the famous one. In fact, I'd say he's way, way, way more famous, Elijah, than Elisha, right? In fact, we've spent some time studying. In fact, I talk to the staff. If you're picking your Old Testament Mount Rushmore, now who goes on the Mount Rushmore, the Old Testament heroes? Uh, probably, I would say it's Moses, number one, and maybe Abraham, number two, and then the staff, we debate a little bit. I think David, King David, if you take out a giant, you should probably be on the Mount Rushmore. It was David, and then I said number four is the great man of God, the powerful prophet Elijah, Elijah. So he's really, really famous. So this guy's not as famous, but he's worthy of our consideration. So why as I think about Elijah versus Elisha, why is there sometimes uh, we diminish the impact of Elisha? Why do we do that? Well, one reason, just what you saw happen in my brain right there. The names sound so alike. Names that sound alike throw me. Can I just say that? I mentioned last week, I'm not great with names. My predecessor was brilliant with names, but na if you got those names that sound alike, oh my gosh. I mean, why in the world after you have the name Craig, did we come up with Greg? That's just confusing for me. I feel like the, the rule of names should be, if there's already a name, there's like one letter difference, that's the name. Once we have Brandon, we don't need Landon, right? Because that's gonna confuse people. Marissa's and Melissa's, that will throw me every time. If you're a dude named Taylor or Tyler, people mess up your name all the time, right? That's just the white people names, I'm just saying, right? That's just, just kidding, just kidding. Then names, names, so we have here, stay with me, two guys, their names sound so alike. Elijah and Elisha. 
famous guy is Elijah. Less famous guy, but awesome, Elisha. All right, and listen, I know their stories well. I understand their biblical biographies very well, but because those names are so similar and the way my brain is, I'm, I'm a little dyslexic, that's uh, truth. Uh, I'm gonna say that wrong at some point. I'm gonna say that wrong, so here's what we're gonna do. Front row, if I say it wrong, Ryan, if I say, Frighten, you're my guy today. You're my guy today. Uh, Lisa, help out. If I say Elijah, when I mean Elisha, I wanna do this. I have right here the say the right guy's name jar with some cash in there. And so if I say it wrong, front row only, don't, you're in the cheap seats, too bad, but front row only. Uh, Ryan, wave, get my attention. Uh, Lisa, get my attention. And I will take out $10 for every time. Notice there's some money here from last night, $10. And I'll put it in the jar. Like some of y'all, you're recently saved and your heart belongs to Jesus, but your mouth has not yet been sanctified. So you have a swear jar. All right, I'll, I'll put $10 in there if I blow it, all right? So let me know if I blow it. And at the end of the weekend, all the money will go to help resource, serve the city. This is for me, all right, for serve the city. A little small, something, something. All right, here we go. So I got Elijah and Elisha. Which one are we talking about? Elisha. Elisha. All right, to add to the confusion, uh, they follow each other in ministry. Like it's Elijah, boom, famous guy, then Elisha right after him. And that adds to the reason why we diminish sometimes the impact of Elisha. Example, the Miami quarterback, Jay Fiedler. Back in the 90s, Jay Fiedler. Jay Fiedler was a really good quarterback. I'm a Dolphins fan, one of the better quarterbacks. He quarterbacked for five seasons. Four seasons were winning seasons. He took the team to the playoffs. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But nobody talks about Jay Fiedler. Why? Because the quarterback just before him was this guy named Dan Marino. And Dan Marino is one of the greatest quarterbacks in all of football history. He's a Hall of Famer. He's iconic. And so he kind of lives in the shadow of the famous Dan Marino. That's, that's Elisha. Actually, Elijah and Elisha, they knew each other. Elijah mentored Elisha. Think, you know, Yoda and Luke Skywalker. Think, think Dumbledore and Harry. They knew each other. But Elijah was famous. He's larger than life, right? And so he kind of lived in the shadows. Anybody feel like that? You feel like someone else always gets the attention? Or that other player gets the opportunities while you're on the bench? Uh, that coworker, man, they get all the clients and they get all the, the chances and they get all the acclaim and the boss's favorite, it's never you. Uh, like my, my second child, Victoria. You guys know Victoria, but not as well as my firstborn, Charlie. Uh, if you're part of our church, Charlie's a young preacher. He's been called to preach since he was 16. And so Charlie is kind of in the spotlight a little bit. Now, Victoria is a really smart, very talented kid. In fact, Lisa, she's probably maybe the smartest of the five of us. I mean, she's sharp. She's always two steps ahead of us. But with Charlie getting so much attention, Victoria created an Instagram account called Siblings in the Shadows. Siblings in the shadow. She's not jealous. She's actually very secure, but it's funny. And I remember the description she threw it down in this, this account. It's for the sibling who is like the Kylie to the Kindle before the lip injections. Isn't that great? So uh, that's probably how Elisha felt, like always kind of in the shadow. But yet, since he was in the shadow, yet he's in the shadow of this famous man of God, this, this premier prophet of the generation. He had the boldness to ask God for something great. When the prophet who represented God asked him, what do you want? In fact, I'll show you. Uh, you stay in chapter 13, but in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, look what it says on the screen right now. It says, when they had crossed, 
Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a good reading, a double portion of your spirit. This is huge. Hey, hey, uh, a boss, mentor, Yoda. Um, I love how God's used you. It's been incredible. But I, well, honest here, I want God to use me even more with humility twice as much. I'd like a double portion. That's bold. No, he's not proud. He's not arrogant. He's not asking for fame. He's asking for impact. But don't minimize what he's asking for. This would be like LeBron rolling into a high school gym and shaking hands with the JV players and a bench player on the JV team. And LeBron says, hey, what's your basketball goal someday, Mr. LeBron? Someday I want to make the NBA. Oh, that's a wonderful goal. And I want to be twice as good as you. Win twice as many MVPs, score twice as many points, win twice as many championships. I want to be so good that your mama, I'm her favorite player. See, a lot of us, we ask a great God for small things. God, I need a parking space. God, bless this day. What does that even mean? Right? Thank you for my food. That's all great. This is the unlimited God of the universe. I See, I, I, I know miracles don't happen every day, but God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I love that here a young man, Elisha, asked a great God for amazing things. So quickly, I'm setting this up. I'm taking too long to set this up. But, you know, Elisha, we don't talk about him like Elijah, but he had a pretty remarkable uh, career as a prophet, very powerful career as a prophet. Does all these amazing, I know he's in the shadows, but man, it's just, he, uh, gosh, uh, he's a faithful preacher of the word of God. He's courageous. He's uncompromising. Uh, he does amazing miracles, but he's always in the shadows, always in the shadows. It's always the other guy getting the press. Always the other guys getting the post. Always, always Elijah is one that's so famous. Doesn't stop Elisha for a moment. But to make the point, driving home, even the way they die, even the way they die. Can I show you the way Elijah, the famous guy, dies or kind of dies? This is remarkable. It's still in 2 Kings chapter 2 on the screen right now. Here is the way. Wouldn't you like to check out like this? It says, as they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. He didn't even die. Elijah just whooshed up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Well, how did Elisha die? How did Elisha die? Okay, uh, how did Elisha die? Back to chapter 13. It says, Elisha died. <laughs> Verse 4 says, he got sick. Died. His predecessor, fiery chariot, supernatural horses, goes off to heaven. See ya. He just gets sick. sick and it's so unceremonious. Where's the fanfare? Where's the pomp and circumstance? Where's the Instagram posts? Where's he really flags flying at half mast? Just dies. He just dies. They both go to heaven. He just dies. But I'm telling you, man, Elisha is awesome. The miracles, there's the miracle of multiplication with the widow's oil. It's got resources, a woman in need, a single mom. 
Uh, gosh, is the story about uh, the invisible angel armies that protect his camp. Oh, my gosh. And how about the Shunammite woman's son? One of the three resurrection miracles is done through Elisha. But, but, Elijah, yeah, 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. I spent a whole series called Thanks for the Hate on just one story from Elijah, the famous guy. That story's the bomb. That's the one where he goes to Mount Carmel and he stands one man against 950 pagan prophets and he stands boldly. And what does God do? He pays, prays a brief and profound prayer and God rains down fire from heaven. Brings the end of a three and a half year drought. Yeah, I get it. I get it, man. Elijah is super. I haven't messed up yet, have I? Is that right? So, yes, best I've done all weekend long thus far. Incredible. But again, don't miss people who fly under the radar. They were both great preachers. They were both uncompromising, both courageous, both men of God. But I love this. If you think about miracles, miracles, because God did miracles through both of these men. We think about the great miracles. We think about Elijah. But I put on the screen the, uh, the miracle count, uh, the QBR of prophets, if you will. The Bible records Elijah eight remarkable miracles, eight super, and they're incredible miracles. But Elisha, 15, 15, almost what? A double portion what he asked for. Don't sleep on people that fly under the radar. Man, I'm here in this office working so hard. I'm in this cubicle and no one notices me at all. I'm working so hard. No one gives me any accolade. Nobody ever celebrates me. Listen, in chapter two, Elisha is anointed. And we don't hear about him for 13 years. Don't rush in, young people, before you're ready. I know you're 21. You're the smartest person there and you should be in charge. Take the time to get yourself ready. Study, apprentice, be mentored, be discipled. We're kind of comparing, which is always, a, that's a trap. It's a dubious thing to do. Uh, who, who had the greatest ministry of all time? Thank you. Daniele, if I throw out a question like that, you don't know the answer. Guess Jesus. She'll be right, what, nine out of ten times? I'll say it again. Who had the greatest ministry of all time? Jesus. Jesus. Good job. Put Jesus in the chat. Je of course, Jesus did. Jesus' ministry was three years. He spent three decades in silence getting ready for three years. Preparation, 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 preparation. So uh, under the radar, we have this amazing man, 15 miracles. That is remarkable, 15 miracles. All right, you guys are listening way too slowly. I'm gonna be late, so we gotta keep this going right here. So we're, we're just the setup verse, the setup verse right now. So uh, Eli Elisha, he dies, he dies. All right, let's go back and complete the verse before the verse. Elisha died, verse 20 on the screen right now. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite... Moabite Raiders. That's before the Raiders moved to Oakland, then to Vegas. Moabite Raiders, Raiders, uh, used, used to enter the country every spring. every spring. What time? Spring. Not winter, not fall, not leap year, not Christmas break. When? Spring. All right, if you're new, I believe in something called the inerrancy of Scripture. This church has two main values. Jesus, what? Jesus Jesus and his words. So we, we preach and teach and believe in the Bible. We don't worship our Bible. We reverence our Bible. 
And one of the few theological words I will use not found in the scripture itself is the word inerrancy. What's inerrancy mean? It means we believe that God put every word in your Bible on purpose. And he doesn't stutter nor stammer. So if a word is in the Bible, it's there for our edification. So that's why I love a word study. I can think about these words with you. We take the time to drill down. So I, I like the fact it says this, this attack from Moabite raiders. By the way, Moabite raiders have been attacking for years and years and years. Isn't it crazy how the enemy will come at you with the same sin and temptation time and time again? Uh, who's being honest now? I, I get tempted with the same dumb things. It's like, hey, today, David, to throw you off, I want to tempt you to be a crack addict. No, it never works before, right? He'll try the same stupid things that I've, I've caved in before. He will just come at you. So Moabite Raiders have been a generational problem. And so, but it says they came, what? Let's go on. They came what time of year? Put the verse back up, guys. Verse 20, it came springtime, springtime. Why is that important? Well, here in the States, uh, in most of the States, uh, harvest time is in the fall. But in certain places, like, you know this? In Homestead, what's up Homestead campus? Homestead, Florida is an agricultural region. And here in the Southern climate, they reversed the growing seasons. And harvest time is in the spring. In the Middle East, harvest time is not in the fall, it's in the spring. It's in the spring, very important. So when does the enemy choose to attack? Just before your harvest. The enemy, he's limited in what he can do. So he's satanic and strategic. So he will, he will attack you most vocally, most viciously, even most violently, just before you break through. Just before you break through. So the Moabites would wait and let the Israelis do all the planning, all, all the caring for the crop, and right before harvest time, or right at harvest time, right when they brought in the bounty to feed their family during the off season, they swoop in like that. I wonder who here is doing that very same dynamic. This is how he works. Again, if there is a Bible verse that needs clarification, let the Bible help you understand the Bible. This is a deep dive. Who's up for a deep dive right now? Deep dive, okay. So Jesus told a parable, recorded more than once, called the parable of the sower. Parable of the sower. Now he never called it the parable of the sower. We call it that. It probably should be called the parable of the soils because he's sowing a farmer. It's an agrarian society, right? So he's using an agrarian pop culture metaphor. Same way we talk about movies and use pop music here sometime to connect the dots. He's talking about farmers in their fields and fishermen in their fish. So we got a bunch of farmers and shepherds. You talk about things they relate to every day to teach spiritual truth. And so anyways, he's talking about this farmer goes out to sow the seed. He said, the seed is what? The word of God. The powerful, authoritative, life-changing word of God. But it lands in four different kinds of soil. One soil is hard. One is shallow. One is congested, but one is receptive. And that receptive one, the seed goes down and it remains and brings about what? A harvest, a multiplied harvest, right? And what happens is all these things intercept the other ones, like the glaring sun and birds and thorns and thistles. But notice the birds and the sun and the thistles, they don't try to prevent the sowing of the word, but the harvest. Meaning this, what I'm doing right now is teaching you the word of God. But hell's not freaking out going, oh my gosh, she's in church. She's in church. I can't believe, oh my gosh, she has a Bible. Her Bible is open. It's a paper Bible. She's highlighting what the pastor said. Hell doesn't care. It's when you go home and start to do and apply habitually what the Bible teaches. Hell hates your harvest 
I wonder who here gave up on the thing God called you to do just before your harvest because the pressure came your way and you took a knee. You did not reap the bounty of God's goodness or blessing in your life. Who quit those 12 steps just a little bit too soon? Who gave up on that marriage just a little bit too soon? Who stopped working that healthy habit just a little bit too The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due time we'll reap a harvest if we do not lose heart, Galatians 6, 9. So the enemy is strategic. I'm going to pick it up here a little because for the sake of time, this is so rich. It's so good. So it says, all right, all right. So they come every spring. Finally, verse 21, verse 21. Here's the verse. Here's the miracle. Here we go. It says, once while some Israelites were burying a man. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. don't you wish your problems with RSVP? Don't wish your haters would make an appointment. But they know it's a dangerous time of year. It's the time the Moabites potentially show up, but they show up suddenly. They don't announce themselves. And here's, here's the miracle. Here's, this, here's what the lyric in the song is based on. It says, all right, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bone, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. And if you watch it online, they're clapping. But that's weird. That's just a weird story. Story about like dead people and bones and corpses and tombs and what? And guess what the next verse is about? Something completely different. It's so brief. It's so obscure. It's, it's kind of strange, but it is wonderful. It's in the Word of God. So what can we take away from this? Okay, take away. All right. Uh, this is a miracle. Amen. It's a miracle. Okay, so we ask God to step into our life, invade our life, touch our life, bless our life, even, even ask for miracles of healing. Um, salvation's a miracle. Oh my gosh, at the end of this talk, there'll be prayer partners at every campus. And there's somebody here, this is your day. Give yourself by faith to Jesus and be saved and get baptized. This, this is your day to do that, right? Do that. But you know, God doesn't just own the miracle. The miracle is God's exclusive domain. God gets to pick the methodology of the miracle. Because if I ask God for the miracle, I sometimes script the way I want the miracle to happen. God, I'm in financial hardship right now, so God, if I could win the lottery, if I could win the lottery, that'd be amazing, God. If I can get some mysterious check in the mail, and God says, no, no, I think I want you to sign up and do Financial Peace University and work those steps, and we'll build financial freedom with the court. No, that's not the methodology I want. God picks both. And by the way, very important, as God shares the methodology, I talked about giving your heart to Christ, walking in the front. Someone's like, nope, not doing that. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Man, people will be leaving here. I'll be swimming like a salmon upstream to talk to someone I don't even know. I'm God cares that you feel loved. And God cares that you feel protected. God cares you feel accepted. God wants you to know the power of his forgiveness and grace. But God could give a rip whether or not we are comfortable. In fact, I can just be this transparent. In my own spiritual journey, every time I start to feel comfortable, God kind of yanks me into some new step of faith, and I continue to be uncomfortable because comfort is the enemy of growth, and God wants us to grow. So really quickly, really quickly, let me show you some things that God commands. Actually, Jesus says, and there are uncomfortable things. Like quickly, uh, Luke 6, 38 on the screen right now, right now. How about, how about this one? Ready? Read the first word. One, two, three. Give. Give. Now look at the rest of it. Give, and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured it. Are you kidding me? Look at the lavish language. God's saying, look what I want to do for you. But some of you are so uncomfortable with the first word. 
There's somebody in this room, you won't come back ever again. Because, man, David said, I need to give. I didn't say Jack. <laughs> Jesus said this. But it makes you uncomfortable. Baptism, baptism. Ba Jesus, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. He said, be baptized. Oh, but that's so awkward. Because y'all dunk people, right? Like, you get full-grown people fully wet in front of other full-grown people. I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> On your comfort. Right. Obey the word of Jesus. Forgiveness. Our Father out in heaven, how be a name, kingdom come, will be done. Earth is in heaven, give us our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The only part of the prayer that Jesus unpacks in Matthew 6, Matthew 6 is that part. Matthew 6, in verse 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive, also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, I'm not comfortable. They hurt me so badly. I don't want to. I'm not feeling it. He's stretching you out of your comfort zone. All right, so this miracle has dead dudes, corpses, tombs. It's weird. God picks the miracle. God picks the methodology. So really quickly, really, I'm going to give you uh, three quick takeaways from this story. It's a strange story. I've never preached a story in my 30-year-plus preaching career. I read it on these three things. Thank you, one person. I'm old. Thank you. I appreciate it. Number one, no friends, no miracle. No friends, no miracle. It says, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly, once, all right, so this guy dies, not sure how he died, was he six, had an accident, whatever happened, but his friends cared enough for him to provide a modest memorial, probably a simple service. Why? Because it's what time of year? It's, it's springtime, it's harvest time. That means the Moabite raiders could come in at any moment, yet they love him so much, they have a brief but public service and then how they show up, suddenly they show up. What do they do? They still take the time. Now, it's not the intended internment. It's an improvised internment. But they still kind of put his body in a tomb. Because that would have been me, Pastor Fred, that would have been me and you, pallbearers. And, and there's a drive-by as we're carrying the casket for some Christian brother. What are we doing? We're dropping that brother and we're running, right? We're going to hide out somewhere. They took the time to still care for his body. Let me break it down. No friends, no miracle. All miracle, the glory for all miracles belongs exclusively to God. But God will leverage human faith action steps. And when you step out, so listen, if you met this dude, if you live back in the day, met this guy, we don't even know his name, Bob the Israeli, right? You met Bob and you're like, Bob, you're that guy. You're that, you're that guy that died, got thrown in the bones of Elijah. How did you come back? I have no idea. Weird, right? I, it's on my way to heaven. And all of a sudden, I've been raised from the dead. All I know is if my friends didn't care for me and my friends didn't carry me and my friends didn't weep for me and they didn't risk because it was Moabite season, they didn't risk, I would not have been raised. Wait, I'm gonna land it. Easter is right around the corner. I believe at our campuses, we're gonna see a bunch of resurrection miracles, but only if you will risk it enough to invite your friends. Listen, some of y'all are way too worried about your reputation. You're way too rejection phobic. Get outside yourself. If you love people, you will risk for people. You need to invite people like crazy over the weeks to come. Easter services start in less than a month at Church by the Glades. Invite them now. Circle back around. No friends, no miracle. Quickly, I wrote this down too. One of the great truths in this is your legacy will outlast your life. 
Elisha does great things during his life, but here he's dead and gone, and God leverages his bones as the vehicle for the miracle. Meaning this, we want to serve God and be generous and pray in such a way that the multi-generational God stop. One of my favorite things about the church is not just we're multiracial. I mean, look around. Every race, every ethnicity, we're multi-generational. You see young, you see middle-aged, you see, you see old, you see everything here, but we press in hard to the young. Why? Because God's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Stay with me. When God's doing ministry to Abraham, he's thinking about Jacob. So I want to I live God in such a way that if Jesus tarries, does not return during my lifetime, and I die, that my bones, that my generosity, that my service, that my prayers, that my integrity bless the following generation. I'm caring about that. I mean, Elisha's being used for a miracle, and he's dead. Speaking of that, speaking, I wrote down finally, and I'll close with this idea. I wrote down, God's miracle does not depend on my muscle. That, I mean, it's obvious, right? I just look at this story, it's bones. He, he's got no muscle. Did I lose anybody right there? So we think sometimes, man, if I work really hard, and you should. If I pray really hard, and you should. But if I do this and that, then God, then God, then God, because God has an issue. So God, no, no, God does not need me. God needs a little bit, tiny little faith action step. And if I feel like I'm under-resourced or under-educated or under-experienced, he still can do his stuff in my life. It's so important. I just give God what little I have. Because listen, back in the day, yeah, he's not Elijah, but Elijah. I haven't messed up one time, have I? Yeah. I messed up three times last night. Anyways, so I'm not feeling too cocky. Um, so Elisha is awesome. Elisha is the man. I mean, Elisha, you know, all those crazy miracles and stuff. Uh, Elisha, man, miracles. Uh, one time an army came to take him prisoner. He called fire from heaven, consumed the bad guys. Another time, man, some young punks were making fun of his bald head. And he called mama bears to come out and maul them because male pattern baldness is no laughing matter. <laughs> he raised a little boy from the dead. But now, now he's what? He's bones. He's in his tomb. He's bones, right? He's bones. Oh my gosh. His uh, prophetic robes stripped away. His imposing countenance stripped away. His muscle stripped away. His, his sinew stripped away. His heartbeat stripped away. His breath stripped away. His life stripped away. He's nothing left. He's barely Elijah. He's, he's bones. I mentioned last week when the stone was rolled into place, a Lazarus tomb. That symbolized finality. Game over. This is worse than that. It's bones. It's next to nothing. But if you have an unlimited God, bring him your little. Bring him your next to nothing. And watch what God will do. Because the one thing I love about Elisha, he knew Elijah was the man. He said, God, I respect him. I love him. He's mentored me. He's my Yoda. But I want a double portion. I want a double portion. I want a double impact. Use me twice as much. And at the end of his life, when he got to heaven, the count was what? Elijah ate miracles. And Elisha, how many? Remember, 50 miracles. And when the angels came to God and said, God, God, uh, we're from the accounting department, we're from the finance department, and we see God, he asked for a double portion, and it, sadly, he's one short. God said, I got you. Because I don't need his voice. I don't need his lungs. I don't need his skin. I don't need his organs. I don't need his robes. I don't need his reputation. I got some bones. And so he uses the bones, so now it's 15 plus one, and I'm not good at math, 
but eight times two is what? 16, and that is your double portion. That's what our God can do. So for someone right now, you quit. You messed up so bad you've given up. You think you've fallen so bad and blown in sin so much that God's grace cannot reach you. My friend, you are literally dead wrong. What we learn in this story, if God could use a corpse to bring healing, Ezekiel 37, if dry bones can reassemble and animate and God can bring back organ and sinew and connective tissue and flesh and eyes and hair, what can he do with you? I say all the time, if you got a pulse, God's got a purpose. Sometimes you need the pulse. He was dead, but not done. Now sing it like you know what you're singing. Don't leave, don't leave. Give me, give me seriously 60 seconds. Because somebody, this is your amazing, brilliant, uncomfortable moment. Prayer partners are making their way right now to the edge of the stage. They're for one purpose, help you navigate your salvation decision or your fresh start with God. Come on, prayer partners, quick. Prayer partners, move right now, right now. Do you think you've messed up so bad? You've sinned so much? Pastor, if you knew the mistakes I've made, man, God knows it all. If he can breathe life using one corpse to give life to a second, he's got you. My king said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though dead, yet shall he live. Come talk to her right there. Awesome, awesome. If this is your moment, give your life to Christ. Do that. Choose baptism. I'm going to let you go because I need your parking space. But listen, if you ain't dead, God's not done. God's not done. Make that move right now. Father God, we love you. We celebrate you. We're going to make decisions that infuse our existence with life. In Jesus' name, as the church said together, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. 
Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D Hughes.